Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as host Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome, everyone. We've got a good show for you today. We are going to be talking horse racing a little bit with Craig Malkowski from Timeform US, as well as Dallas Cowboys training camp NFL talk. We love the NFL early uh, discussions, year-round discussions. We are embarking on training camp, so we'll be speaking with Sad Yusuf of the Athletic Dallas-Fort Worth. But Gino, let's uh, talk a little baseball since that's another passion of ours and there's a lot going on in the baseball world. A lot of excitement, trades, rumors, hot streaks, cold streaks. Do you dump? Do you, you know, do you go all in? You know, Gino, first of all, what are some of the uh, early, you know, what's the feedback on Machado so far in the first week with the Dodgers? We, you know what we've seen is really all of the big teams, all of the teams that are contending are making moves. I mean, if you go down from really everyone, from the Red Sox getting Evaldi, the Yankees getting Britain, uh, we saw the Indians last week, um, they made the move to strengthen their bullpen also to get hand. Uh, we just saw the Athletics get Familia. We saw... Um, the a, lot, a lot of middle relievers. Yeah. Right? A lot of well, relievers and back end of the, of back the, end of the pen. Package. Yeah. We know the Dodgers made the Machado deal. Because you know what ends up happening, Mike, um, is the, the bullpen guys are some of the tougher guys to keep, you know, at the top of their game all throughout the year. Sometimes, you know, they get their dead arm. You're using them, you know, two, three nights in a row sometimes, then a day off, then a couple more nights in a row. Um, they go hot, cold really quickly. So it's always nice to have a couple of fresh bullpen arms especially as you get into the, you know, the real, real important part of the season. And it's funny, you know, you look through, um, we kind of go through with the in the American League and in the East, um, nothing really surprising th- since last we checked in. We have the Red Sox and the Yankees kind of battling it out um, in the East. That's been no surprise. And in the Central, Cleveland's been, you know, beating up on what's just been an awful division, let's be honest. I mean, we look at the Central and there's three teams in there with 60 losses in the in the Central and then you, you move to the American League West. What an unbelievable division that is. You have three teams in there with 60 wins. The Astros, the Mariners, and the A's. The Angels, they've actually been really disappointing. And then you have poor Texas, the, the poor Texas Rangers. I know one of our listeners out there, Mike, uh, Steph Stevesy, who's a big fan, actually lived out in Texas and lives out in a, moved out and lives in Long Beach now and said it was like 112 Last week, and there's just nobody at the Texas Rangers game. But don't worry about it. Steve Z's also a Dallas Cowboys fan. So some of those Texas Rangers fans who are 20 games under 500, at least they can listen in a little bit later on and get excited that the Dallas Cowboys season is just starting because it's been a it's been a rough run out west for the uh, the Texas Rangers. No doubt, and they had some good years. And you know, I kind of think that everything came together when they had like Josh Hamilton and no more Pudge, yeah, yeah Pudge, and you know, <laughs> but it all kind of uh, came apart. I think after uh, their their manager Washington got fired, or or actually, I, I believe he stepped down after uh, you know a little struggle with uh, you know Drugs, the white yeah. white, pow- white powder and that type of yeah. thing. And then th- it seems like things kind of crumbled for them. But yeah, you make a lot of really really good points. Six you know, especially when you're talking though. about tired arms, you know. 
here's how crazy it is. And, and you mentioned something really key, which is hot and cold streaks for these relievers and closers. I mean, for heaven's sake, the world champion, Houston Astros, sent their closer down to the minors. Giles is trying to find his form again. So that's how quickly you could find it and lose it. Well, and in Miller, the when you're talking about closers, I you mean, know, Andrew, Miller and Allen for for the Indians were incredible the last couple of years. Their bullpen was their strength, and they they you know that's why they had to strengthen that bullpen a little bit. They had some issues. Remember, the beginning of the year, everybody kept talking about the Brewers. You'd have never thought the Brewers would have even thought of making a bullpen move, but their uh, their strong bullpen got a little tired right before the All Star break, and they started to struggle too. So I think a lot of these teams and front offices they're trying to just be a little bit proactive and get ahead of it. And, and just hope, hey, in case anyone does start to struggle, we're going to have a little bit of extra bullpen depth. I mean, when you look at the uh, the races now in the American League and the in the National League, and you compare the two, it, basically, barring some massive collapse, it's going to be Boston most likely winning the East, Cleveland most likely winning the Central, Houston most likely winning the, the West, and then it's going to be the Yankees, and and either the Mariners or the A's. There, there's really only like three teams battling for two spots in the wild card. Then you look at the National League when you flip over. Man, it's way different. You have seven teams that are within five and a half games for that final spot. And one of the teams was a team you mentioned to me off air when we were getting uh, ready last night. The Pittsburgh Pirates, who've actually kind of thrown themselves back into the outside of the, the wild card race with a nice little 11 game win streak. Yeah, and just to put things in perspective, the Oakland Athletics have 60 wins, as you mentioned. There's no team in the NL that's got 60 wins. Not one. They'd have the number one seed. They'd be the best record right now in the, in the National League. But yeah. again, just to, that's, that's the comparison between the two. Because, you know, you look at how top-heavy the American League is, and then you look at the National League, and there are so many teams right in that 50-win range. You know, after you get past the Dodgers – the Cubs and the Phillies who are leading their divisions. When you look at the wild card standing, you have, you know, the Brewers and the Braves right now who are the wild card teams. You have the D-Bock, the D-backs, the Rockies, Pittsburgh, the Giants, the Cardinals, and the Nationals all within five and a half games. So there's yeah, going to be a it, lot of movement. Yeah. And, and this is a little bit different than the NBA where like you looked at the East and the NBA and the Cavs, you know, were kind of mediocre during the regular season, had some spurts, but they kind of knew deep down with LeBron that they were going to find a way to get to the finals. Not like that in baseball. And the analogy here would be the Dodgers. You know, I think the Dodgers overall have underachieved. Now they've pulled themselves out of a deep hole and, uh, you know, are putting together a decent season, but the record overall isn't anything that they are probably excited about, especially, you know, if you ask them before the season started, do you think that they have more than 56 wins at this point? But hey, they'll take it. They'll get to the playoffs. You know, I still think that they're going to win that division. But unlike basketball and baseball, if you have a hot streak, you know, it could be the Brewers. It could be the Braves. It could be the Phillies. Anybody can knock you out. So, you know, I think uh, I think Machado deal. And I know I mentioned it at the top of the show is really, really key because there's one other thing when you're talking about these trades and, and a lot of movement with relievers, especially there isn't that one guy like last year with Verlander. Right. Astros were one really stud pitcher away from just knowing that they could seal the deal, seal their fate on making a deep run. And Verlander was that guy. We don't have anybody like that this year on the trade blocks. Yeah, it doesn't really seem like DeGrom was the one that a lot of people are talking about. They don't even really know if he is. Uh, they just People just assumed because the Mets were so bad that they might be willing to uh, to get some young pieces back for him. But 
Yeah, that's funny. I was thinking a lot about that move. Isn't, isn't that amazing how, you know, the Dodgers and the, the Astros last year were both looking at making a move? And, you know, the Dodgers did. They got Darvish. And, and, and the one thing that, you know, we look back on it, and hindsight's always twenty twenty, and everybody wants to rip Darvish um, because he had a couple bad starts in the World Series, but Darvish was very good getting to the World Series. He was excellent for the Dodgers in the first couple rounds to help get them there, but that, that was the difference, you know? The Astros are able to go get Verlander, who now for a year, we're not talking like he's been good. He's been otherworldly, Mike. I mean, his numbers have been insane, incredible. And when you have someone like that that you know every five days is going to go out and give you that kind of performance, I mean, could you imagine a Dodger pitching staff right now with Kershaw, Verlander, and then behind them, you know, all the, the strength the Dodgers have behind them with the guys like Stripling, Wood, Rich Hill, Maeda, Ryu, and Bueller. Man, that just just that one extra pitcher makes that staff seem so much stronger. Because as a Dodger fan right now, it's kind of the same issue that I'm a little worried about. Going, if I'm hoping the Dodgers make the playoffs, and I'm uh, expecting the Dodgers to make the playoffs and hope they win the, the division. But if you go into a, a playoff series and, you know... you. It feels like Kershaw hasn't been that good this year, but when you look at his numbers, he's really been okay. He's just been hurt a little bit, honestly. He's his numbers really still are, are not bad. They're just not. Yeah, he's crazy. not like getting roughed up. Like, no, what? they're they're just not Kershaw dominant, and he hasn't really been able to just go deep as deep into games as he would have liked because I think they're just being a little more careful with him. Hopefully, he'll have more innings left for the end of the year. But after Kershaw, you know, if you're the Dodgers and you're it's game and you make the World Series, I'm. I'm thinking optimistically, but if, if you make the World Series and you start Kershaw in Game 1 and he loses, who are you starting in Game 2 of the World Series? Stripling? I know he's an all-star and he's had a good year, but do you feel very confident with him as your Game 2 starter? Uh, Hill? Wood? You know, I, I don't I don't know. I, I don't really feel confident with one of them as my Game 2 starter, but man, you could just get another top-of-the-line pitcher and everybody bumps back a spot and then you can bump a Maeda and a Wood or, you know, combination of two of them into the bullpen. Now your bullpen's even stronger. So I, I think that's still something the Dodgers need to go try to do is get one more starting pitcher um, because, you know, you go through them. It's Kershaw, Stripling, Wood, Hill, Maeda, Bueller, Ryu's making an assignment now and he should be coming back. But that's a, a strong group of what seems like a lot of three and four starters, right? Like number threes and number fours in your rotation. No, I totally agree. I think the thing that they could look at favorably is that in the National League, when you're looking at the playoff contenders right now, outside of the Cubs and maybe like Granke with the Diamondbacks, most of the teams do not have any playoff tested, you know, pitchers, number yeah. ones or twos, you know, the Phillies, the Braves, you know, the Brew Crew, you know, the D-backs, you know, those are probably the most likely contenders. Even, you know, teams on the outside looking in, like, you know, the Pirates or, or the Rockies or Giants, you know, they don't really have any battle-tested horses that could just go in there and nail things down, be the shutdown guy like, you know, Madison Bumgarner's been or anybody like that, unless the Giants get there with Madison Bumgarner, of course. But overall, I think the Dodgers could feel good about getting into any series. The key is going to be getting that Kershaw win, like you said, because if not, then you're going to have to go with whoever the hot hand is at that time and hope for the best, right? And hope yeah, that maybe you could outslug some of these teams that don't have any battle-tested, playoff-ready pitching staffs. Yeah, and, and the Dodgers' biggest strength is their depth and their versatility. Um, as, as we've seen, they can just come at you in so many different ways with so many different lineups, players at different positions, um, righty, lefty, whatever you want. They can come at you. Uh, and, and Machado's been good so far. He's, he hasn't been, 
monstrous. I think he's hitting like 260, but his on-base percentage is 355. He's getting on base. He's walking. And what's actually was hurt a little bit is that as soon as he came in, Justin Turner got hurt. So we really haven't been able to see this strength of a Dodger lineup with a lot of their best hitters all the way through. We've still seen Puig um, missing some time. So the Dodgers still have a couple pieces that they need to get back. And I think when they do, it's only going to strengthen that lineup. And this is going to be a very, very deep lineup. And the Dodgers are going to have five guys, you know, five players off their bench who are legitimate everyday type players. So um, I still wonder if, if, you know, are you better off having that much depth or are you better off maybe packaging a couple of them and a prospect and just going and getting a pitcher? Because all, a lot of these guys aren't going to be able to even find room to play. So I think you're better off maybe looking for a package and going and getting some someone who can help this starting rotation. Because uh, it, it's going to be a, you know, it's going to be a war of attrition now over the next 50, you know, 50 plus games. And as you mentioned, there's nobody in the, in the NL that really terrifies you. But I think there's five teams that could beat the Dodgers in a series. You know, so, so that that's... It's kind of the way you look at it. Like the Brewers, the Cubs, the, the Phillies, the Braves are all very capable. Washington wouldn't surprise anyone if they got hot. And the D-backs are not scared of playing the Dodgers. We know that for sure. So um, it, it'll be a very, very fun NL West and NL wildcard races. Because we just it doesn't seem like we're going to get races in the AL. But in the NL, all of the divisions are, uh, all three of the divisions are within three games. And the wildcard is going to be a really fun race. So, um that this is going to be like where we're watching to see, um, and and I think everyone's going to be starting to watch now. Okay, who are we behind? Who are we chasing in the standings? Um, this is a big series coming up. We're playing a team that's in front of us. So now now everyone starts to watch the standings a little bit because it, it's uh, you can start to feel the end of the season upon us. Yeah, no, definitely. And you know, speaking of races, there's some other intriguing races. Of course, one of the things that makes baseball so special and so unique is that. You know, there's so much history. You know, we've got almost 150 years, really, uh, if you look at the, the, the modern as well as the, um, you know, senior circuit, you know, type uh, analysis, if you will, of the history of the game. And statistics are a big component of that, right? And so one of the intriguing things to me every year is the MVP race, the Cy Young race, the home run crown, et cetera. So I wanted to mention those races for a quick second because in the National League, you've got four guys at the top of the standings in home runs with 25 apiece. Harper, Carpenter, Arenado, and Aguilar. With 24, you got your boy Max Muncy. So very exciting home run race, which makes for a very exciting MVP race, of course. And then on the Cy Young side of things, I mean, both of these, you know, Cy Young groups in the AL and the National League have put together some really good campaigns and it's wide open. You know, Severino's got the 14 wins and Scherzer leads with 13, but right after that, it's all bunched up. So really, really exciting races all the way around for the batting title, home run crown, And, and quietly, he'd have, to, he'd have to pick it up and, uh, and Mookie would have to slow down. But J.D. Martinez going to win the Triple Crown. He very well could. I mean, he's, he's, he's going to be in the top five in average, and he very well could lead the league in home runs and RBIs. I mean, he, he does right now. He will in RBIs. I mean, he will in RBIs most likely. It's just because of that lineup. He's always going to get opportunities. The home, the home runs and the average is the one that could get a little it, – it's, it's tough to count on, but the RBIs are going to continue to roll in. So it's – it's interesting when you look at someone this late into the season 
who's, you know, hitting 325 with 30 home runs and 86 RBIs, but that's been just an excellent addition for a loaded, loaded Boston lineup. And, uh, Absolutely. And, and just so you know, the reason that I was mentioning kind of the, the history and, you know, that we're talking about 150 years, because you don't really have that in, in football and in basketball in terms of, because basketball is more about statistical averages. In football, they've kind of changed the length of the season, a 14-game season, a 16-game season. You go from a running league overall to a passing league overall. Baseball is really cool because a 300 hitter is a 300 hitter in whatever era. You know what I mean? Home runs, there's still these benchmarks and they've, they're long-lasting. You know, it's, it's a way to really be able to compare eras, even though some people will say, well, you know, players are now bigger, faster, stronger, steroids, et cetera. You know, back then, you know, you didn't have integration of, uh, you know, a diverse set of baseball, whatever. Either way, I love it. To me, I'm, a, I'm just a baseball geek. So. Well, that's why they'll never, and I, I agree with you, the records, in baseball, it's the only sport where the records matter. I mean, you don't know anything about any football records. I don't. I mean, nobody offhand knows the, you know, the number of the person who's thrown the most passing yards ever or the rushing yards ever or, you know, but you know these numbers in baseball. In basketball, the same thing. You you don't really know who averaged the most points in a season or you, you don't really know the specifics. But with baseball, these are numbers that are just are burned into our minds and they've been burned into our, our heads forever. So yeah, it, it is interesting. I, I don't think that's why people will always talk about making changes to the baseball season and, you know, maybe cutting off 10 games here or, uh, you know, 15 games here. I just I don't think they'll ever do that because I think there are so many of these records, so many of these numbers that people just they the, they don't want to mess with. Yeah, no, abs- absolutely. And, uh, you know, right before we go into commercial break and and and, and then get to some some horse racing talk. I did want to mention this, which is Mookie Betts. You mentioned him a moment ago. Wow. And this guy is something else. You know, whether it's you're comparing things from a a war perspective where he's at 6.6, you know, wins above replacement, or if you're looking at it just from overall numbers, batting average, RBIs, et cetera. To me, since I brought up the MVP race, it'll be a really tight race. I'm obviously biased here being a Red Sox fan, but between Betts and J.D. Martinez – in the National League, you could flip a coin. I don't even know where to start in terms of National League MVP. You could go so many different directions. That's what's making this season really, really exciting. I mean, and right it's an indicator you, of how wide open the NL is, right? Yeah, and I think right now, a guy, uh, someone like our guy Jesus Aguilar has to have as big of a shot as anyone, um, especially if the Brewers are content uh, in contention late. You know, even someone like Matt Kemp, who helped carry the Do- he's struggled a little bit as of late, but he helped carry the Dodgers early. If he can kind of um, have a resurgence uh, towards the end of the season. He's having a lot of season in all triple crown categories. Yeah. You know, very, very solid. And I think a lot of it was he carried the Dodgers early when they were really, really struggling. When Seager went down, when Turner was, when they were getting nothing out of Turner, when Bellinger was really struggling. So he was the one guy who may have helped them win a lot more games than it really looks like on paper. So um, as you mentioned, there's really no, no standout front runner though in the National League, so it'll it'll really be who gets hot over the next couple months and who's able to carry their team into the playoffs. Yeah, no, absolutely, D- no doubt about that. So if you break up the Dodgers season, you know there there have been a lot of heroes going from Matt Kemp to even like a like a Muncie or a Stripling. Jock Peterson or a Stripling or or a Kenley Jansen. Every that's how deep they are. 
Yeah, they're, they're picking each other up. up any time they really and pick, are. Yep, everybody is capable of doing that. And, that, and you know, obviously we talk a lot about the Dodgers. We're based out of L.A. here. Gino is a hardcore Dodger fan. Uh, by default, I'm a big Dodger follower, at least. And we've got good relationships with that ball club uh, in the front office and, uh, you know, on the media coverage side. So, you know, they're a team that I uh, secretly kind of root for. Good to see them doing well again. Let's uh, let's take our next first commercial break, Gino, and switch a conversation to horse racing for a little bit. How does that sound? Yeah, big weekend. Some uh, some stakes races at Saratoga on Friday and on Saturday, and then we're also going to have the Bing Crosby at Del Mar, which is a really good full field and a sprint stakes race in a Grade One. The races at Saratoga this weekend they're a little lackluster as far as the depth, but we're going to talk with Craig about that and uh, and why some of these fields are so short, and we'll we'll see if we can still find some value and make a little money uh, this weekend. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, social media conversation about the exact issues that you mentioned to me, you, the ones that you pointed out right out of the gate when you saw the entries and you saw the races that are lined up for this weekend. So we'll head on that with Craig and uh, get his thoughts on, uh, is there you know, something that could be done scheduling-wise to make things a little bit better at Saratoga when it comes to some of these races coming up. So let's take our first commercial break. We will be back with Craig Milkowski from Time Form US. Stay with us. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Want to experience football from the perspective of a former player who also has coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver. He'll talk about the drafts, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl has the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. He'll cover the camps on and off the field and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby on Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Shifting focus from baseball on over to horse racing. We have our first guest of the week on, Craig Milkowski from Timeform US, the chief figure maker over there. Want to talk some stakes racing this week, and Craig is one of our favorite horse racing guests to talk to. And What's up, Craig? Craig. Uh, hey, guys. How's it going today? Doing, doing very well, but I would have loved to see a couple more entries in, in these three-year-old races at Saratoga this weekend. Um, it's kind of head-scratching that they have a, a stakes race on Friday, which is the Curlin. It's a restricted stakes race for three-year-olds. It's going a mile and an eighth, and it's served as kind of a prep race for the Travers the last couple years for 
you know, maybe the horses who need a little bit of a softer spot as a prep going into the Travers. But when you look at this year's field and you look at the Jim Dandy, you know, we have a total of, what, 12 horses running between the two races uh, in, in the Curlin Hofburg is one to two. It's, you know, a little bit easier of a spot than he would have faced in the Jim Dandy, but he'd be running for 600,000 in there and Hofburg would still probably be what two to one in that spot. This is a kind of a weird couple of races this year in particular. I think the Curlin last year only had three horses. Is it time to maybe move this race, figure something out? Because what what good is it when you have a field of five and a one to two shot, and then you have another field of six tomorrow with maybe three legitimate horses? Yeah, I think the Curlin worked for a while, but the last last four or five years, it probably just off the top of my head, it hasn't been much of a race. Uh, you know, horse racing can be a little slow to adapt, but horses just aren't racing that often anymore. So me personally, I'd probably push it back a week, which would make it a little too close to the Travers. You know, so anybody wanting to run in the Travers needs to go in the gym dandy and kind of use it for the, the purpose the conditions are, you know, for lately race three-year-olds that, that haven't really won a big race yet and give them a shot to, you know, maybe going for things later on down the road that are coming up, uh, not necessarily the Travers. But, yeah, having two races two days apart that that are basically pointing for the same race doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, like you said, Hofberg, he'd be the favorite in the Jim Dandy almost yeah. for sure. Uh, you know, I don't even know if he'd be two to one, but he wouldn't be mm-hmm. any more than that for sure. Um, so, yeah, I just don't get the point. Uh you know, why not run for 600 that Why give them the option, I guess, is what I'm saying. Uh, we know yeah. trainers these days, they, they, they like to, to have the gaudy win percentages. And the, unfortunately, they'll usually pick the easy spot over the more competitive spot, uh, understandably so from their point of view. But, you know, why give them the option? I think it's time to cut back on these races. I mean, the Curlin's basically an allowance race, if you it look is, at it. It um, is. I mean, if you combine the Curlin and the Jim Dandy – it would still be just like a decent Jim Dandy. It wouldn't even be like a great renewal of the Jim Dandy, you know? It would still just be like, yeah, there's there's a couple good horses in here. So, yeah, that's what's a, a little bit head-scratching. So, I mean, I can't imagine we'll spend a ton of time on the Curlin, but with with Hofburg installed as the one-to-two morning line favorite, is, is there anyone else in here that you're, like, remotely interested in or you think, you know, has some upside and maybe a shot to, to run well in here or just, some future upside second half of the year? Uh, not really. I mean, you know, yeah. sometimes you just got to pass a race. Uh, if there was one other horse I'd give a look, maybe it'd be Madison's Luna uh, trying two turns on the dirt for the first time. He, he ran okay first time on the turf around two turns. Uh, he did show some some ability when he won the Hutchinson. He ran some good speed figures. And then he kind of flopped, although, you know, the trips weren't the greatest. Competition was a little much. But, you know, sometimes these horses go in two turns. They get loose on the lead. They can get brave. Uh, he's the only one I could see in here that, that even would have the remotest of shots of winning here. And it, it's not something I'd want to wager on. Yeah, for me, I, I'm I'm right with you. I thought maybe Nicodemus has some upside, but I just don't think anyone uh, is quite on the level uh, as uh, as Hofberg. But let let's shift into the Saturday stakes races because I think. Well, actually, before we do, Gino, are, let me ask my favorite question of Craig. Give me the cold cock trifecta. You got to ask him every time okay. he comes because he gives us he's something really it. good. I was gonna say he's done it so many times. Yeah. 
Yeah, I guess if I had to give a, a cold try, it would probably be one, two, five. Okay. There we go. Oxford, <laughs> Madison's Luna, and American Lincoln. I got it down. Yeah, I just think maybe Madison's Luna will be loose early, and American Lincoln, he'll be closing. You know, he'll be laying kind of close, has a little finishing kick. Not quite, not anywhere near that of Hofburg, but maybe he could sneak into the third spot. So it sounds like this this race maybe could be used as a as a single in the in the pick four or or for Naira uh, bets people for the pick five maybe pick six players that type of thing. Yeah, I can't see going against them here. Like I said, if I had a lot of money and wanted to double the cost of my ticket with Madison's Luna, you know maybe, but I don't think that's a good proposition. I don't think that horse is worth doubling their ticket. So sometimes you got to make a stand and. Hope, you know, hope the horse delivers, and that's what I would do here. Then Saturday we have uh, some stakes races at Saratoga, and they kind of kick off with the the Amsterdam, which is kind of an interesting horse. Promises and promises fulfilled, and strike power keep running into each other. These two have uh, hooked up in the Fountain of Youth, the Florida Derby, the uh, the Woody Stevens. Promises fulfilled, uh, I will say. He battles, man. He he's speedy and he wants the lead and he will fight you for it. And then he's gonna battle all the way around the racetrack. There are a couple quick horses in here. It's not a huge field, but th- for three-year-old sprinters, it's not bad. There's a couple in here that are decent. Uh, how do you see this race kind of unfolding, Craig? And who would you maybe use in some of the uh, the exotics in this one? Well, I think, uh, you know, we did a, do the pace projector at Timeform US, and it kind of tries to predict when the pace is going to be fast and slow or or neither. And this race actually has neither. It just kind of has it as average, but I don't really agree. I think we're almost assured of getting a hot piece in here with uh, horses like Promises Fulfilled and World of Trouble, who hooked up last time in the Woody Stevens, uh, Old Time Revival, who only knows one way to run. Uh, strike power likes to be right up there. So I think we're going to get a good, really good, fast pace. Um, and the one I'm kind of going to go with a long shot here, and that's Sutosh. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, he, he drew the outside. He, he's a horse that likes to sit off the pace. Uh, he's closed from well behind, uh, sprinting before to win. He's won routing, so he's definitely got some stamina. And he's a little light on the speed figures on my scale, but I, I think he's Fairly lightly raced and improving. He's had some excuses his last uh, couple times out to not run as quick as you'd like to see numerically, but I'm willing to draw a line through those, and I think he's going to be a big price, and uh, I think he's every bit as good as Engage probably is, so he'll probably take most of the money. I think he's a morning line favorite, and he's probably the horse most people are going to prefer if they uh, think the pace is going to be hot, which, which I do also. But, you know, just price-wise, uh, one's probably going to be 15 times what the other one is. So that's the one I'm going to take and use him in the, the top two slots with some of the other contenders. And he, from a class standpoint, he's defeated World of Trouble before. Um, and he should get a great trip. He's drawn very well. I, I'm with you. You look at horses that are going to be coming off the pace, and there's really none of them. And th- that's the one thing I've noticed with Strike Power, because he's a horse that I've... Uh, I picked early on in the year in one of my fantasy leagues. So you kind of focus on these horses. You really watch them. You really watch their trips. And you, he he sat okay in the Fountain of Youth, but he just doesn't seem as comfortable coming from off the pace. And in here, there's really only one or two horses. That's a, a nice find there with a seven. So Tash, who should be a great price in the uh, in the Amsterdam. So we move on to the Vanderbilt. 
kind of another lackluster grade one race here. This is a three-year-olds and up, but compared to this race to, you know, the Bing Crosby, which we're going to talk about in a minute at Del Mar, and that race is much, much deeper um, than a race like this, who really only has Imperial Hint, I guess, as one of the top-tier sprinters. Switzerland's been sharp, kind of coming into his own. Um, how do you project this race, uh, the grade one Vanderbilt? Yeah, this is one where I'm kind of going to side with the chalk. It looks like a two-horse race to me between uh, Switzerland and Imperial Hint, with Imperial Hint definitely having the edge. Uh, I remember it wasn't very long ago I was on Twitter saying uh, Switzerland was the by far the best maiden in America. And once he finally <laughs> broke through, uh, you know, he just went on a run and been killing everybody. I actually saw this horse run on uh, Arkansas Derby Day. He won an allowance race. Then he went to Pimlico, won the stakes. And, I mean, he's not just winning. He's winning fairly easy these last few times since switching to Steve Asmussen's barn from uh, Chad Brown. But from a speed figure perspective, he's still got a ways to go. He's still a few lengths behind Imperial Hint. And those two are just better than the rest in the field. Uh, Mr. Crow was a horse who this time last year, I think, actually was uh, one of the hot up-and-comers, but he just hasn't been the same. He jumped up into a grade one last year, didn't run very well. Uh, Switch barns, and he just doesn't seem to be anywhere near the same horse. And the rest just seem overmatched, really. So I think it's a two-horse race among the favorites. Uh, probably going to be chalky with Imperial Hint winning. Uh so that, that's who I'm going to go with in here, Imperial Hint. And there will be uh, distance turfing in the ninth, which is the Bowling Green, the gray two, mile and three, eighths in here. Um, and give, us your, uh, give us your analysis of this one. There, you know, many different ways to go. High Happy is going to take some support, uh, you'd imagine. And it wouldn't be a distance turf race if you didn't have Chad Brown uh, in a, with, a, with a live, live runner. So uh, what's the ninth look like for you? Uh, this is a tough race, and if you ask a speed figure guy, these are probably the races I like least, these big turf marathons, you know, they're, they're often dependent on the pace, they're more stamina than speed, and we, but we do tend to get the same horses matching up over and over again, and, uh, you know, it's interesting, Sadler's Joy, I, I think he's probably going to wind up being the favorite, despite the morning line, uh, he had kind of a rough trip the last time. He seems to be always that horse that kind of hangs back, makes a huge run. Uh, a lot of people were upset last time that maybe he moved a little too early last time. He wound up getting nipped by uh, spring quality, I believe it was, on the wire. So I'm, I'm not too interested in Sadler's Joy. Uh, the horse I, I'm going to maybe take a shot with in here is Manitoulin on the outside. He, he's got a decent morning line. Uh, he was in that same race. He had a tough trip. He was wide, really wide on both the turns. Uh, so he's the one, just because of the price, uh, I don't know that you know he's actually any better than these. I, I think they're all probably pretty close to each other. Like you said, High Happy's always solid at these long distances. He always seems to run well. Uh, money multiplier, I am against a little bit. Uh, you know, I know it's Chad Brown, and so, of course, he's going to take a lot of money. But I just wasn't impressed with his United Nations. It was a great one in name only. It wasn't really that strong of a field. Uh, it's a race he has won before, and he really should have won that race, I think, if he was in, in top form. I just don't think he's the same horse this year. So he'll, I'll be kind of going against him as much as I'm going with the nine. Uh, and then maybe playing some exotics with uh, Manitoulin and uh, – Sagler's Joy over High Happy. And we'll try to close out the uh, the exotics there with a rolling pick four in the 10th race, the Jim Dandy. And 
And yeah, it's kind of uh, unfortunate that we only get a field of five in this one. Um, a couple horses that we were interested in maybe going into the Derby. I know Flame Away was a live long shot coming out of the bluegrass. Uh, Vino Rosso um, took some support. But you look at this race and you know, you know, you have five horses and nobody in this field finished better than fourth in their last effort, which was Vino Rosso in the Belmont. So not necessarily the sharpest group of horses in the world uh, coming into this Jim Dandy, Craig. Yeah, and we don't even know if Rewrite's going to go here. I think he's also entered Friday. Uh, I don't pay a lot of attention to what, to, you know, what trainers say they're going to go. I just wait for the, the scratch. For the entries, yeah. There. Very well be, be a field of four for all I know. Um, yeah, not a whole lot to get excited about. I'm, I'm not a flame, a flame Away fan. I think he's a bit over the top. I watched that Ohio Derby a couple times where he set the pace and, uh, he had a fairly clear lead. They weren't going particularly fast, and he just kind of spit the bit early. So he's definitely one I won't be using. Uh, tenfold's got a lot of upside, still pretty lightly raced, but, you know, he hasn't really got it done. He's looked okay. Um, the Preakness obviously ran a close third. He was closing late, but he did get passed by Bravazzo. So I think he might be overrated a little bit. So the two I'll probably concentrate on here are Vino Rosso, the favorite, and Sporting Chance. Uh, because of his price, and I think, you know, he's a little classier than a couple of those in here. Uh, and it's Wayne Lucas who's expected, so maybe I'm wrong expected this time. But I think he's sitting on a good race. His Preakness trip wasn't ideal. Uh, it was sloppy track uh, last two times. I think he'll run better on a fast track. And, you know, he's 8-1 to morning line compared to the even money on Vino and 8-5 to on 10-fold. So I'll probably lean towards sporting chance in my wagers here. Craig, we have a couple of minutes uh, left with you, so we definitely want to hit the grade one Bing Crosby because I think of all the races we're going to talk about, that's by far the best probably betting race and probably the deepest race, too, when you have the Breeders' Cup sprint winner, Roy H., who is you know on any short list for the top sprinters uh, coming off the Dubai race, and you have some other really nice up-and-coming horses, you know, even a horse like American Anthem, who's, you know, doing very well right now. You have American Pastime, who wasn't beaten a whole ton in the Breeders' Cup last year. This is just a deep, deep group, and one of the better races you're going to see at Del Mar, as you mentioned, they've done a great job the first two weeks in getting us some full fields. So um, what are some of your thoughts on this race? Yeah, for a while, like you said, they really are doing a good job. Uh, this, the sprint division in Southern California had, you know, over the last four or five years, it was kind of the norm to get five and six horse fields. And, and this is just a nice, pleasant surprise. And it's a good, strong group. And I kind of have two different thoughts in here. There's a group of horses I don't like, uh, three horses who are going to take some money, and then there's three that I do like. Uh, the three I don't really like are American Anthem and St. Joe Bay. That's the first two. And the main reason, they've just never been that fast. You know, they've won their decent amount of races. Uh, they've won in high class. But I always think it's kind of been a uh, more circumstances than talent. You know, they were placed well, didn't draw the strongest fields. Uh, so not a big fan of them going up against a horse like Roy H., who, who's obviously going to be one of the main contenders in here. And the other one, Ransom the Moon's kind of the same thing. His big win came, I, I think it was in this race last year. Uh, I know it was at Del Mar. Yeah, when uh, Dre Fong kind of went crazy, floated out, like yeah, yeah, and just caused all kind of havoc. So you know, Ransom the Moon has that Grade One win, but he's another one. He's never really run particularly fast on my numbers. He uh, just kind of was a you know 
benefited from some crazy circumstances that day, and he's probably going to take some money as well. So I'm kind of against those three, which is going to lead me with the three I'm going to talk about now, who most likely I'll box in the exacta and then play the two longer ones to win. And those are uh, Roy H., uh, Edwards going left, and American Pastime, who you mentioned was uh, ran so well last year toward the end. Uh, Roy H., there's not a whole lot to talk about. He's come back. You know, he went to Dubai. He ran solid. He had kind of a tough trip get, getting floated wide, but he still ran a close third, you know, second in the Breeders' or won the Breeders' Cup last year, not second. Um, and he's just a solid horse. He, he's not where your price is going to come from. It, He's a morning line favorite, but it's the other two that I think you can get a price with. Uh, the first one is Edwards going left to uh, really look good at the beginning of this year, well, end of last year when he ran second to City of Light in the Malibu. Um, we know City of Light's going on to win some big race. They won a big race at uh, Oakland going long. Uh, he won another sprint after the Malibu at California, in California. And uh, then he went to Calbreds and just toyed with a field that he, he looked like he towered over on paper. And then he went to the Triple Bend, faced uh, City of Light, and didn't run particularly well that day. But he only he worked once a couple weeks after, and I think they found something probably wasn't right with him, laid off a couple months. Now he comes back, and I think we're going to see a big race out of him. Uh, he's one that's shown he's not really pace-dependent. He can stay close and win. He can come from off the pace and win. So I, I do think he's going to run a big uh, race in this spot. And then the other one was uh, American Pastime, who you mentioned, coming back for his four-year-old debut. And this horse ran some really good figures on, on my Timeform U.S. Speed figures last year as a three-year-old. Uh, he wasn't embarrassed at all beating four lengths in the Breeders' Cup behind Roy H. Imperial Hint. And uh, Minder Biscuits, who we know what he's done, you know, he just went to Dubai and won the big uh, sprint race over there, the uh, Golden Shaheen. So, yeah, what I'm going to do is just focus on those three horses, uh, play an exacta box, and, and if we get one of the prices in there, it's going to pay nice. And if you get both in, it's going to pay really well. Craig Milkowski from Timeform US. We are up against the break, but we always appreciate you talking with us, Craig. Very few can uh, can cover all of, uh, all of the big races and all the big tracks like you do, and we're going to definitely get you back in towards the end of the summer so we can, uh, we can hit up the Travers and the Pacific Classic. Um, the big races from the big meets. So thanks again, Craig. We always appreciate you jumping on, and we're going to make sure everyone gets in, uh, to Twitter to follow you at Timeform US Figs. Thanks, Craig. Have a good right, one, my friend. Yeah, thanks, guys. Always enjoy you having me. Awesome, Absolutely. Craig Milkraski. I know we got a quick break, Mikey, so let's take it, and then we'll get our final guest. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fans' perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network and let's talk football. Thunder chickens beware, we're coming for ya. This week on The Revolution with Jim and Trav, it's all about the Spring Gobbler Smackdown and our panel of pros are out for beards. (laughs) 
Joining us is David Blanton of Bill Jordan's Realtree Outdoors and Monster Bucks, outdoor writer M.D. Johnson, and Pete Muller from the National Wild Turkey Federation. It's presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Friday afternoons at 1 Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back, everyone. Anybody that's followed the show and uh, listens on a weekly basis knows that we're huge fans of The Athletic. In my opinion, probably the best sports publication out there, best writers, best content, very creative. It's not so mainstream. You get the details about your favorite teams. Actually, next week, we've got Vic Tofor, who covers the Raiders for The Athletic, as well as uh, Raider Nation is going to love this. Special teams coach Rich Bisaccia, uh, who came over from the Dallas Cowboys. And that transitions us to our next guest, who is Saad Youssef from the Athletic Dallas-Fort Worth. Good afternoon for you, Saad. How are you? Hey, Saad. I'm doing great. How are, how are you guys doing? Doing really well. Thank you. I think that's a, probably a good starting point, which is, you know, our next week's guest going to be the special teams coach. I know that's not a position or a unit that gets a lot of coverage, but in my opinion, Cowboys probably special teams coaches in the league. Gruden lures him over there. You know, how, how have the Cowboys filled that void? And uh, does that, uh, you know, go against the grain philosophically speaking, head coach Garrett, or do they have somebody in there where it's going to mesh real well and they're with a good special teams unit? You know, it's interesting because they have, they've had a some of their special most a lot of their special teams obviously runs through a kicker Dan Bailey who has pretty much been um, by default one of the best kickers in the NFL for the, for most of his career. So it, special teams almost becomes an afterthought, especially with um, the NFL's new rules where there's not really a lot of running back kickoffs and things like that. So it's just a bunch of touchbacks and then. Anytime you need to kick a 56-yard field goal, Dan Bailey was almost automatic, um, except for the end of last year where he kind of struggled quite a bit. Um, he, he missed a couple of extra points. He missed a few field goals. And then that's kind of where, um, you know, it, it brought back the attention of, of oh, wait, we had, there is actually a special teams unit. And, and it kind of brought that to the forefront for, uh, for Cowboys fans. But, you know, the Cowboys just had an overall at, uh, overhaul uh, for position coaches. Um, in general, it's, I mean, the head coach and coordinator stay the same, but very little aside from that did. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think there's, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think at the end of the day, um, they have a kicker who, if he is, as long as he goes out there and he does what he's known to do for the majority of his NFL career, special teams for the Cowboys is just something that you probably won't even think about um, the day after games. But, you know, then Dan Bailey goes out and misses a couple of extra points, and all of a sudden um, you'll know the name of the special teams coach pretty quick then. Very good. Now, before we get into some of our specific questions, maybe you could kind of uh, share with us what are some of the big storylines going into this year? Well, I think the biggest storyline for me is definitely going to be along that defensive line. That's where all the drama is. That's where all the, 
big playmakers are. Um, you know, David Irving, what's going to happen with him? Um, I know, I know within the Cowboys organization, there's a very strong sense of frustration with David Irving. Um, but uh, it's more because, you know, he finds himself suspended too often, um, but he's also too much of a talent for them to just to cut loose. And uh, if there's one thing we've known about the Cowboys, especially over the past few years, is that if you have talent, a la Greg Hardy, um, then they'll be willing to put up with any of the bad PR, any of the bad mojo that comes with it. David Irving has that talent. He's not playing on a big contract, so he's not costing them a lot financially. But there's frustration because there's so much that he can provide. And um, Sean Lee in OTAs, he was quoted as saying, you know, David Irving can't help the team if he wants to. And, you know, that's, that last part is just not something you really want to hear from your defensive captain talking about a big playmaker. On the flip side, a guy that is also in some hot water but the Cowboys feel very good about is Randy Gregory, who just was reinstated recently. And the reason is is because Gregory, and, and you know, I can speak to this from first-hand experience, that's how I've interacted with Gregory quite a bit in his first year when he was here and, and he was actually not suspended. And he's just a really good dude. He has his um, he has his head on straight. Which you know, if you just look at his track record of being suspended for the better part of two seasons, you wouldn't think that. But um, you know, there's there's guys who use marijuana, you know, as sad. I don't know if you could hear us or not, but sounds like uh, the connection is um, having some trouble there. Yeah, and he, you know, he was mentioning the defense with the Cowboys, and I actually got to give a big shout to one of my buddies, Mike Dub, because what I like to do whenever we do these previews, Mike, is I'll, I want to talk to one of my friends who's a fan of one of the teams, because you know, as a fan's perspective, you do, you get, you know, you have questions, you have the things that you, when you watch every single game, you and I can look things up and we can find the the, the big issues, but as a fan, there are things that you're questioning about, and he's, he's finally saying that the Cowboys' defense is much better. There's much more talent on the defense than ever before, but still some issues maybe with the safeties and maybe in the secondary. They do still have the talents at linebackers and kind of in the front seven, but that the issue is defensively, um, can they stop you know the passing attack? That's always been an issue. Well, and I'll tell you, I think a big key to that is – you know, uh, you know the line, uh, David Irving, who he was talking about, a lot of length, six foot seven. Uh, you know, he's a very, very lengthy guy, but also weighs 290. So he's not like one of those like lanky guys that isn't filled in. He really, really is a special on-field talent. It's just his off-field issues. You know, he's uh, we pray for him as he's in the rehab center. Hopefully he's able to battle his demons and come back and do well. Um, kind of, you know, but I think that really ultimately helps the secondary, right? Is when you're able to put that the pressure, you know, pressure on, get that pass rush going, you know, stuff the run. So I think we got sad back with us. Uh, are you back with us uh, with a good line yes, here? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Can you, can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah we, we got can you. hear you fine. You were flowing really well. So uh, we were talking about the defense and, you know, as, as Mike and I was just talking about now, it just seems like they're this year in particular in the last couple of years. There's a little more talent on this Dallas defense. They have some playmakers. They have some talent, especially in the front seven. What do you think about the the, the secondary and and kind of defensively and maybe even overall? Like, what groups do you think on this Cowboys team are their strengths and where are their weaknesses? I think all their strengths are going to be on the offensive side. I, I don't. I, I mean, you know, on, on defense, the linebacking core can be a strength, but that's very contingent on how Jalen Smith responds to uh, his third year removed from that 
horrific, horrific knee injury that he had. Um, but I, I, you know, the secondary and and the front seven, I, or at least the defensive line, I think are going to play hand in hand um, as far as you know helping each other out. They're going to need to get a decent pass rush to make sure that the corners don't have to cover long. The corners are going to have to hold their coverage a little bit sometimes when Demarcus Lawrence is getting doubled and triple teamed and if they're not getting production from other guys. So I think those two areas will play hand-in-hand. The linebacking core can be a strength, but again, it depends on Jalen Smith and then it depends on Leighton Van Der Esch, their rookie, and how he plays. Sean Lee, you know he's going to be a playmaker. That's again, you know, he has an injury history, so that, that depends on that as well. On the offensive side, look, the, the, the running back position, is, the running game in general is where the strength of this team is going to be because Ezekiel Elliott is playing with no strings attached. There's no, there's no court case. There's nothing. And the offensive line is stronger than ever. I mean, drafting Connor Williams in the second round to add to Tyron Smith, Travis Frederick, and Zach Martin is just a, is just a home run move by the Cowboys. So I definitely think the, the running game in general, offensive line and running back position combined, is where the strength of this team is. Sad, let me ask you. You know, when you talk about the running game, obviously things open up quite a bit when you're able to work on your, you know, passing game. But even even your short passing game can open up windows. I'm looking at the tight end position. Obviously, Jason Witten is now retired, probably a future Hall of Famer. There are a lot of guys that uh, are competing for this spot or for spots at the tight end position. Who leaves Oxnard, where the Cowboys training camp is? Uh, emerging as the front runner of this, I'm going to put my vote for the basketball player, the Baylor basketball player, Rico Gathers. That's exactly who I have as well. And, I, and, and you know, the Cowboys really like him. Um, and the thing is, is you know, I, Blake Jarwin is another guy that you want to keep an eye on. I think he's, he, he has the potential as well. But um, you're right. Rico Gathers is, is, you know, in that offense, the way that, the way that it flows and, um, and, you know, running more flag and corner routes from the tight end position. Um, he won't, Rico, Rico has the strength in the body and uh, the length to be that. And the biggest thing with Rico is he's not replacing Jason Witten. He's more replacing Des Bryant as that big body red zone threat. Sure. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's the reason why I think Rico has a leg up because all of a sudden if you need to throw a jump ball to someone, you know, you don't have that guy at the wide receiver position. And so... Uh, you have to turn to the tight end position where Rico is going to play a big role. And and as you p- pointed out, um, and you're absolutely right about this, the Cowboys play an offense where the run sets up the pass. And so the play action and all that stuff is going to play a big role in that. And uh, Rico Gathers is going to benefit big, big time from that. And, and you know, I'd, I'd put my money on Rico not playing so much from um, his hand in the dirt and more, you know, from the slot in a way. Um, as a slot receiver slash tight end. To utilize that full frame, uh, see, he's listed at 6'6", 285, absolutely a beast. Can go for those jump balls, can box out, right? I mean, can use those basketball skills to go for those jump balls like you talked about and be a really big-time red zone weapon. And, Mike, thinking- that actually leads into kind of a, the, the, another really good question because I know a lot of people are interested when you're talking about who's going to catch the ball, what is that wide receiver depth chart looking like right now, Saad? Because, you know, without Des Bryant, and we know Witten's gone, Terrence Williams just started practicing. Give us some of the names that we expect to see catching a lot of balls this year for Dallas. So I think the, I, I think the guy that, you, that if you're a fantasy player that you really want if you're picking the Cowboys is going to be the guy that, that rode Dak Prescott to a really good rookie year, which was Cole Beasley. Um, but 
you know, the thing is, I think you're going to start the season with Alan Hearns and, and uh, Terrence Williams outside with Cole Beasley in the middle. And then I think progressively, the way that the Cowboys feel about this kid that they drafted, Michael Gallup, I think that's the name that's really going to burst on the scene. Now, If whether he takes snaps away from Alan Hearns or Terrence Williams, um, my money is on Terrence Williams. I think, uh, I think Alan Hearns is a better receiver. I think he's a more of a speed threat. And I think Gallup is going to take, you know, snaps away from Terrence Williams. And as the season progresses, you'll see Gallup, Hearns, Beasley, Gathers. Those are going to be the guys that are catching the ball for the Cowboys as long as there's no, you know, big injury between them. But, you know, those, those are the guys. And then, and then there's, there's the wild card, which is Tavon Austin. And, you know, is he a running back? Is he a wide receiver? Um, the Cowboys plan on using him everywhere. So, um, and, you know, I'm sure you guys there out, uh, in Los Angeles uh, are, are more uh, familiar with Tavon Austin uh, coming from the Rams. Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, you, you know, he, he's a guy that the Cowboys have high, high hopes for as well. Sure. Sad. I hate to end this uh, quickly here, but we're up against the end of the show. We'd like to bring you back and continue the conversation perhaps later on in training camp or at the end of the preseason. We'd love to bring you back. Great insight on the Dallas Cowboys really quickly because we've got 15 seconds to close. Tell our listeners how they could follow you. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Saad Yusuf. That's S-A-A-D-Y-O-U-S-U-F-1-2-6. Outstanding. Awesome Thank you so much for joining Thanks, us. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening, everyone. And we will be back next week with Raider Nation Conversation. Thanks and have a great sports weekend. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a great week.